Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Everything Pup podcast. I'm your host, Holly Montgomery. It seems like there's an endless stream of dogs that come into our stores with skin irritation and it causes them to chew, nibble, and scratch at themselves endlessly. Oftentimes they've already gotten the diagnosis that their dog has allergies, but many of the treatment options they've been given aren't working as they should be. In many of these cases, we discover that although the dog may have allergy-like symptoms, they may actually have a yeast problem that's not being addressed. Once we tackle yeast head-on through diet and supplements, many dogs experience fantastic results. Today's guest is Julianne Lee. Julianne has been the owner and practitioner of some of the busiest and long-standing holistic veterinary hospitals and clinics in North America. Graduating from the Vancouver Academy of Homeopathy's four-year homeopathic medicine program, she has studied with some of the world's leading veterinary homeopaths. She's an associate member of the British Association of Homeopathic Veterinary Surgeons and has co-founded and taught a three-year postgraduate program to veterinarians in Canada with Dr. Sue Armstrong to help bridge the gap between human and animal homeopathic medicine. Julie is now the founder and co-owner of the Adored Beast Apothecary, where she formulates holistic pet care products. In this episode, we're going to discuss the often overlooked issue of yeast overgrowth in dogs, how to spot it, and how we can begin to bring back balance into the dog's body and alleviate uncomfortable, itchy skin problems. You're listening to the Everything Pup Podcast, the place for dedicated pup parents to find valuable dog-centric tips, interviews with trusted industry experts and your favorite dog brands, and everything else you need to become an informed advocate for your best friend. Now, here's your host, Holly Montgomery. Welcome back, everybody. Today's guest is Julianne Lee, and she's the founder and co-owner of the Adored Beast Apothecary. And it's with great pleasure that I welcome her to the show today. Welcome, Julianne. Thank you so much, Holly, for asking me here. It's awesome to be here. Really glad to have you. Uh, I've been following you for many, many years, and not in the way like a stalker would, but in the way a big fan would. Really big fan of all your info, and I just only wish you were you were around longer when I first had my first dogs, because I think it would have been really beneficial to have all of the wonderful products that you make for them. But uh, very grateful to have you now for the dogs I have now. <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your start in the pet industry and how you founded the Adored Beast Apothecary? Sure. Um, it's really long, so I'm going to have to do like a Coles Don't version of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I grew up on a rescue. My mom was a founder of the very first um, in Canada rescue that did, um, I guess, in-home rescues, right? Up until when when she started working with this, the majority of the dogs had to go to the SPCA and be in cages. And she worked a lot with um, children in the Children's Aid Society and thought to herself, well, if we have you know, interim homes and things like that for children. Why can't we sort of do that for animals? So she started doing that and um, did it for, oh my gosh, like 75 years, I guess. Wow. So I was deep into rescue and sort of animal welfare right from when I was three years old and nature. We 
we uh, didn't see doctors very often. And if we did, we saw specialists. And my mom, we were all treated and our our main way of our healthcare was with naturopaths and, and herbalists and homeopaths. So grew up very much like that and then decided that I wanted to be working more directly in a vet hospital. And I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, but I was very eclectic like I am now. And <laughs> So I was riding competitively and I was also dancing. I did, I majored in ballet at an art school or an art high school. So it was really, 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 yeah, it was really cool. I went to Russia and everything, but um, I was really trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I would have had to give up a lot of what I, my passion to go to vet school. Mm -hmm. So I decided to be a tech, become a tech. And I did that and worked at a, a conventional veterinary hospital for many, many years. And it really was an eye opener because I, you know, it, it made me, it makes me now to this day, much more empathetic of, of conventional vets and what they learn. And, and in comparison to maybe someone that has an experience, what I've experienced, which was that when I was learning um, conventional medicine and the science behind it and things, I really jumped the fence from, you know, living in this very holistic farm with my grandparents and my mom and feeding all of our animals, like ate real food. They weren't vaccinated. They, they hunted, they were very, they lived very species oriented lives. And when I started studying, it's really hard to study something if you don't believe in it. It's very Mm -hmm. hard to like pass your grades when you're trying to pass a grade. If you haven't drank the Kool-Aid, right? Like if you haven't been like, okay, I believe in this. Yes, this is true. So I, I completely jumped the fence. I didn't stay in the middle of the fence. I jumped the fence and, you know, vaccinated everything on our farm and started, you know, really pushing back with my grandma and my mom to not feed real food and, feed commercially based dry, dry dog food and dry cat food and stuff. So honestly, it wasn't very long before we started seeing the negative effects that it had on the animals. And when I say that, I, I'm, I'm very serious because we had cats that were living into their late 20s Holy. and, you know, still hunting, right? And being unfortunately run over by a tractor or something because they were like blonde, dying that way, you know? not dying long deaths with chronic disease and kidney failures and cancers and stuff like that. So, and then the majority of the dogs that we had on our farm were um, Collie Shepherd crosses. And I don't remember one not being older than 15 or 16 when we would put them to sleep. Wow. So, you know, large breed dogs living old, old, long, healthy uncomplicated, not chronic diseased lives. And when I started doing this, probably within, you know, eight years, you know, seems like a long time, but within that eight years or seven or eight years, um, we started seeing animals getting sick a lot. And my, you know, my grandma, my mom would sit down and I'm Irish Yugoslavian. So I'm like incredibly uh, passionate and very stubborn. (laughs) And 
you know, they were trying to say to me, Julie, like, you know, since you've started this, we love you to death. And this is what we know what you should be doing, but everything's getting sick. And I didn't believe them and they didn't know anything and they didn't go to school for this. And I did and blah, 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 blah. Right. So, but at the clinics that I was working with, I started seeing more chronic disease than I'd ever seen in my whole life. It was very new to me. So, you know, we would vaccinate something and very shortly after they'd come in with puppy vaginitis or an ear infection or itching or vomiting or diarrhea. And I just started asking questions and those questions weren't um, accepted very with very much grace. So I wasn't able to, to, to talk about it a lot. And it was a big clinic that I worked for. It was a large and small animal practice. And um, so, you know, I just still put my blinkers on and went on and, you know, continued to ask my own questions, but not really able to get the direct answers with it until my dog got cancer and he was four. Oh, no. And I was devastated. Like this was like my heart dog, the love of my life. And I just didn't even know what to do other than I knew what I didn't want to do, that I didn't, wasn't going to do chemo, that I wasn't going to do all this invasive stuff. So I went to my mom and I said, what do I do? And she said, you know what to do call Virginia, which was our naturopath and her her, Mm. herbologist. And she came and she's like, what are you doing with this dog? Why is it on dry dog food? Why is it this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So make a long story short, I did go and see, I wanted, I had to, cause it was right at his colon. So he couldn't go to the bathroom. He had a huge tumor. And, um, we, I wanted a referral to this, to this internal medicine specialist and oncologist and surgeon, which I did get, but he gave me a very guarded prognosis and said that it was so large and invasive that they were going to have to resect part of his bowel. Oh, no. And it was going to be a touch and go situation, but he couldn't get him in for two weeks. So within that two weeks, Virginia created all of these like suppository and suppositories. We put them on all different kinds of things. And I booked a hotel. I took him the two weeks later, checked him in, went to the hotel and got a call about, I don't know, six hours later and saying, thinking, oh my God, he died. Um, thinking that, you know, maybe they were going to give me an update or something was, you know, maybe went wrong when they were in surgery, but the surgeon had completed the surgery and was calling me to say that he didn't know his name was Dr. Smith (laughs) and he didn't know what I was doing, but keep doing it because the tumor went from the size of a large, like a lemon to the size of a grape within two weeks. Incredible. And it they didn't have to resect anything. It was more encapsulated and they were going to send it off for a histiopathology, but that, that, that his prognosis was much better than, than anticipated. So that started me off. And once he healed and um, I started questioning, what did I want to do with my life? And I, I was really kind of um, sad about how I thought veterinary medicine was going. And I thought human medicine was way better (laughs) <laughs> I got into human medicine and then it was like, ah, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, not. <laughs> so, so once I was like, Oh, do I want to do chiropractic? So I want to be a naturopath. What do I want to do? So I wound up going to Spain and I got sick in Spain and I got sick with something. I went to Spain to visit my girlfriend and I, I got sick with something that I would get chronically when I would either dance I had a big presentation with a dance or if I had to show my horse and it was like almost like a Crohn's 
irritable bowel, hemorrhagic gastritis kind of thing. And I would get really sick usually. So I got this there probably because I was very stressed Mm -hmm. with the whole situation of what I was going to do with my life. I went to the hospital, had to go to the hospital and I was treated by a homeopath in the hospital. Really? Yes. They came to me and they said to me what was going on and was this a new thing? And I said, no, I get it all the time when I'm stressed. And this really is terrible because it's going to ruin my whole vacation because usually I'm sick for two weeks. And, um, so they said, okay, wait, you know, my, my girlfriend's, uh, my girlfriend, it's actually kind of cute, but my girlfriend's, I'm going to have to really hurry, but my girlfriend's, um, uh, fiance was Spanish and he was interpreting for me and they brought in another doctor and they said, because it was chronic, they wanted me treated by a homeopath and not acutely. So they put me on IV fluids but then they they treated me with homeopathy and I was like they're asking me about my dreams and was I stressed and blah 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 and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna die just give me some drugs um <laughs> so, but they didn't and within four days I was back out backpacking wow. and so I thought, okay things are meant to be I was mm-hmm. meant to get sick. I was meant to figure this out so that started my journey as a homeopath so I did a four-year human homeopathic medicine program in Vancouver. And then I was so lucky. Like I always said that all my, all my angel animals were on my shoulder. I was able to get into the British homeopathic veterinary surgeons program in England. So I went to England for three years and then I, I was with them for another two doing summer school programs in Greece and India and places like that. So then I came back and I opened the very first licensed holistic veterinary clinic in Canada. And that was a struggle and an interesting thing. But anyways, that's my start. <laughs> and so I I practiced and owned veterinary clinics for 25 years in BC. And I had five clinics. And then I taught a postgraduate uh, homeopathic medicine program for veterinarians that I held at UBC. And then I burnt out because I was on call for 24 seven for many, 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 many years, probably close to 20 years. And I wound up at that point feeling like I needed to make a change. And all of the products that I used in my clinic, I developed in my clinic and I used on my patients. And I would, people would say to me, like, you need to be able to put this in stores Mm-hmm. And, and and get this into people's hands because nothing has helped my dog this much and nothing has helped my horse and nothing has helped my cat like these products do or these formulations. They weren't products at the time. They were formulations. So I always had it in the back of my mind. And then my doctor said to me, okay, you have to sell your clinic. So you're going to burn out. You're in adrenal fatigue. You're going to die basically <laughs> <laughs> if you don't stop working. So that's literally what I had to do. I had to sell my practices and take a sabbatical and I moved out east to a big farm on the ocean with my dogs and cats and donkeys and everything (laughs) and I took a sabbatical for about a minute (laughs) (laughs) and I was like okay I have to do this so I met this my business partner Dion Albert who is like the most amazing man on the planet we are perfect together (laughs) as business partners and we started Adored Beast Apothecary. And um, that's how I am where I am. And I've de- developed more and more and more 
um, formulations since then, but they're all based on clinical experience for over 20 years in, in my practice. So they come from a very solid foundation compared to, um, I know we won like the Canadian pet supplement industry, whatever. And they, and they interviewed me and they said, so who are, who's your competition? You know, what about your competition or something? And I said, well, I don't, I don't feel like I have competition because I don't, I'm not doing it like that. I don't, I don't, I'm not making supplements. I'm not really making supplements. I'm putting products out in the market and I'm doing research to really make a difference with animals. And when I sold my practice, I was, I was like so shocked because the vet that actually purchased it had to um, have it audited by a bank. And uh, I found out that I had treated or worked with, you know, I have to be careful what I say because I, you know, had to, I had, I employed conventional veterinarians. Right. So uh, even though it was my practice and I basically navigated everything. um, So I, I worked with in, in, over 35,000 animals in my career. Whoa. So (laughs) I, my goal is to work with like 35 million or 350 million animals and really help. So I don't look at my supplements as being competition. I look at my supplements and my um, products as a method of healing and the healing that I want to create isn't just the healing for ant for dogs and cats and horses. It's the healing for the planet because even at my clinic, I wouldn't use things like shark cartilage and I wouldn't use the, I wouldn't use a lot of things that I knew was detrimental to another species or to a forest or to anything. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really anal around this synergy that to me, it's an oxymoron that you torture torture something from the ocean to make a dog not limp. You know, Mm -hmm. it just, to me, it's bad karma and it's not something that I would do. And I'm not judging anything that anybody does, but that's my focus and my philosophy and why I feel like I'm here and what I do. It's to create that healthy balance with all of us. So anyways, that's a long story, but I don't know how to shorten it because that's, (laughs) how I am, who I am and, and why I do what I do and why the products are what they are. Well, you need every detail because I always say like the, all those things that happened in your life and you're thinking maybe, maybe that was the wrong path to take because I didn't end up staying there or what have you, but every single thing that you did led to today, what you're doing now, which probably is not your final mission either. I mean, it's a pretty intense, awesome mission, but you probably got a lot more to do. So <laughs> this well, will lead to that. In, in my fourth year at Dalhousie University with cancer research. So for dogs, dog oh. cancer research. And I have this medicinal mushroom forest project that I'm doing. So I do a lot of stuff. You do. And I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that at the end of the show, because I want people to know about that project. It's, it's pretty okay. cool. Um, so to the subject of today's episode, I mean, there's so many questions I have for you. I'm trying to simplify it down to one topic because we only have so much time, but, um, I really wanted to talk about yeast overgrowth in dogs because it's something that we see over and over again. And I've had personal experience with it as well with my first dog or sorry, my second dog. 
But at the time I had him, it wasn't something anybody talked about. So he went through the ringer with different treatments and different drugs and nothing helped. And I could just see his immune system being destroyed in front of my eyes, which as we learn, isn't helpful with yeast overgrowth. So um, now we have the wonderful opportunity to be able to help uh, pet parents with this issue, um, even us in our stores. So I want to talk to everybody listening there out there about this issue. And I want you, I would love to have you explain it a little bit more. Um, We'll just start with a really simple question. I mean, it's probably not simple, but (laughs) for you, it might be. Uh, What exactly is yeast overgrowth and how does it pertain to our canine companions? Well, it's what exactly what you said. So it's a, it's an imbalance that happens in the body that allows the yeast to take over. It's super simple, but it's super simple what it does, but what's not super simple is how it, how it comes to be. And um, I knew you were going to ask me about this and I don't (laughs) want to spend a bunch of time getting technical about what it actually is. Anybody can go into what is yeast overgrowth with dogs in Google and you'll get some whole bunch of information, technically what it is, species wise, everything, the whole nine yards. But what it is, is it's an unbalance. It's an imbalance. And when we look at that, we got to, we have to, for me, the way I look at that is no matter what's going on with your animals, whether it's allergies, yeast, cancer, autoimmune disease, the body's natural desire is to go back into homeostasis. It's, it's, we're built and your dog is built to be able to rebalance itself. So it's more about why did it become unbalanced? How did it become unbalanced? How can I get it back in balance? And I think that is, is, is the most important part. So when yeast becomes out of control, there's many factors. It can be immune related, right? Their immune system can be low. They can get yeast overgrowth when their immune system is too high. When they have an autoimmune disease, they can get secondary yeast infections and secondary yeast issues. So whether it's low, whether it's high, what's really, really, really important to understand is that you need to modulate it, right? You need to, you need to go into that, this, this area of modulation, which means helping the body to be able to respond to whether the, whether your dog's um, immune system is, is, is in the tank or whether your whether something has triggered it or its immune system is too high, right? It's, it's, it's killing itself. So the idea behind whether your dog is getting yeast because their system is high or low doesn't really matter. We just need to bring it back into balance. And to find that out, whether it's high or low, takes a lot of diagnostics, a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of energy. And it's it's something that is sometimes unnecessary. Sometimes it's necessary, but sometimes unnecessary. So Really what yeast is, 
is there has been an imbalance in the immune system, more than likely from the gut, because that, not, you know, 80% of your immune system and your animal's immune system comes from the gut. Mm-hmm. So something has happened to unbalance the gut flora, which then unbalances the immune system, either whether it's too high or too low. And then if your animal is susceptible to yeast, the yeast is then becomes abundant and overtakes everything else. If it's unbalanced, it can go into different things. Why do some dogs get yeast and some dogs get allergies and some dogs get Cushing's disease and some dogs get cancer and some dogs get inflammatory bowel disease and some dogs get chronic UTIs? It really is the susceptibility of that animal. Okay. So there are a lot of things that can contribute to yeast overgrowth. And you mentioned um, low or high immune system, overactive or underactive. If this is something we hear from our customers quite a lot, they'll come from the vet and the vet has said um, the dog has allergies that have led to yeast overgrowth. Is that also a possibility? Well, allergies, probably the number one aller- one reason for allergies is poor gut flora, right? Poor gut flora in a compromised mucosal lining of the gut. So whether it is your dog has allergies and it's led to, to yeast or your dog has an inflammatory reaction that is making the junctions of the gut and the integrity of the gut very weak, that has then um, uh, contributed to an overgrowth of yeast. So it's a chicken and the egg thing. <laughs> yeah, what comes first? Because yeah. I know dogs that have had yeast and has nothing to do with allergies. Okay. Right. So, um, so the, your dog doesn't have to have allergies in order to have yeast. Okay. But they often go hand in hand and they're often misdiagnosed. Yes. So I want to definitely talk it, about that too. <laughs> well, wait till that question comes up. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. <Okay. laughs> um, this is one thing because we are a pet food store. We are the nutrition side of things. So um, this is kind of an area that we talk about a lot, but are there foods that cause yeast or that can aggravate yeast in dogs, certain kinds of foods that pet parents might be feeding their dogs? So, you know, the typical thing, sugars, you know, we, we hear that all the time, right? You know, don't, you know, don't you know, stay off of sugary grains, sugary, like don't do carrots, do more squashes, do, you know, try and stay away from high carbohydrate foods. Uh, That's definitely, that is definitely something that, that is important to keep in mind is that you want to try and stay with rich proteins and fats and more green related vegetables rather than really sugary vegetables that that is definitely uh, something that you want to consider when your animal has been diagnosed with yeast, or that you know for sure that it that it does have yeast. And there's a lot of options out there now, everybody. Just so you know, <laughs> there are a lot of options that are available out there for you that are low low carbohydrate. And we stock a lot of single ingredient meat treats in our store because this is something that you can get that's got absolutely nothing carbohydrate wise are very, very low. Um, so there's a lot of options out there. 
um, for that sort of thing too. So you can avoid it. Even if your dog doesn't have a yeast issue, you, you know, they might eventually. So you can still, you can still, this is the kind of treats I feed my dogs all the time. So I just want okay. to avoid it. <laughs> don't, don't forget though, that, that sugary high carbohydrate foods don't just contribute to yeast, right? They contribute to inflammation mm -hmm. and chronic inflammation in the body contributes to everything. Arthritis, autoimmune diseases, cancers. So it's, it's, um, it's good to stay away from them in general, but definitely, you know, an animal that's eating, um, you know, and a healthy animal, it, it's good to have diverse foods, but you just wouldn't want to be feeding carrots every day, even to a healthy dog that doesn't have yeast. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to feed, be feeding high carbohydrate treats, you know, every day, even if they don't have treats because, or even if they don't have yeast, because it, it, it contributes to chronic inflammation for sure. The root of all evil is inflammation. <laughs> And part of that is sugar. Yes. <laughs> no matter how, no matter what name it comes under. Yeah. And that goes for people too, everyone. Yes. People too. <laughs> now, on the other, on the other hand, are there any foods that are actually good to feed for dogs that are prone to yeast overgrowth? Um, foods that are, I mean, obviously this is where the, you know, are, do, does my dog have allergies comes in. Right. This is yep. this is the conversation around allergies. Yep. So obviously, if you know that your dog is allergic to chicken or allergic to lamb or allergic to whatever kind of protein, while you're trying to deal with the yeast issue, you want to try and support the dog that it it's getting things that aren't reactive. So a lot of allergies are they're called allergies, but really what they are are food reactivity. Right. So they aren't true allergies. The, the body has just become reactive to it. And most of the time that is from weak leaky junctions in the mm -hmm. gut, right? Which are, if you want to call, if you want to call it leaky gut or you want to call, call it a traumatized gut, it doesn't really matter. Just what happens is that the mucosal lining becomes stretched and then the food that they eat enters into the bloodstream and then creates a reactive, a, re, a, a, a sense of reaction because it shouldn't be in the bloodstream, especially in a macro amount like that. And so then the body becomes reactive to it, not necessarily allergic to it. So when you're dealing with yeast and you do know that you have, you have food sensitivities in your dog, you want to stay away from anything that's going to increase their inflammatory re response right? right so for good or bad things with yeast um stay i would stay away from you know uh give them really good food that you know that they're not reactive to if they do have food you know food intolerances or food re reactive foods in in their system uh good things are lots of antioxidants Mm -hmm. Right. So feeding things like dark green, dark green, leafy vegetables, blueberries, um, cranberries, things that things that have high antioxidants. Phytoplankton is that's the reason that I do phytoplankton, because it doesn't have a lot of sugar, which a lot of antioxidant fruits do. 
That's true. But it's it's also super cool because it has something called cell to cell um, nutrition. So it's a whole food nutrition. And what we have to be very careful, especially with yeasty dogs, is that if the gut isn't isn't as healthy as we'd like it to be, the first thing that you have to think of is the gut. If the gut's not healthy, the food absorption's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Your the bioavailability goes down, the ability to digest goes down, which equals that your dog is not consuming its calories, vitamins, fats, amino acids, um, all of the really important things that we need to, to be putting into our dogs to keep them healthy. So we might be putting the best things in the planet into them, but if they're, if their guts are traumatized, they aren't digesting those amazing things that we're feeding them. Hence, they can actually become malnutritioned, even when you're feeding the best food or they're not getting the antioxidants that you're feeding them because the body is losing them through the, through the, the weak mucosal junctions in the gut. So the cool thing about phytoplankton is that it doesn't have to be digested like everything else that you feed, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally cell to cell. So when you're, when they're, when, like I take phytoplankton three times a day. And (laughs) when you take phytoplankton, it absorbs before, without having to be digested because it's smaller than a red blood cell. And it's the highest amount of superoxide dismutase in anything in the world, which is the king of antioxidants. Wow. So you're really giving like this cell to cell hit of antioxidants and that's where you want them is in the cell because an antioxidant stops free radicals from scavenging and making um, oxidizing cells or making them rusty for lack of a better word. (laughs) So you want a cell, you want them in, you want it in the cell. So for me, it's one of the best things to feed and I, and I call it feeding. So when you ask what's the best thing to feed to me, you're feeding that. Because it's a whole food nutrition, right? Right. And, and I've read that, I mean, just putting it in your mouth, the body's already starting to use it, right? It the is. The mucous membranes, it doesn't even have to go through the system at all. So um, that's, I think that's really key. Like you said, like if the dog isn't work, if nothing's working, you're just throwing all this money at this problem that's not even, like nothing's going through, nothing's doing its benefit. So I right. love phytoplankton. That's a whole nother episode, but um, <laughs> it's amazing stuff. It is. It, it really is amazing. And it's not even like you're throwing money, but the dog, your dogs are continuing to suffer. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's, too. It's like the worst thing. The, the One of the reasons I got into, like the first pro, first thing we ever made for Adored Beast was the leaky gut protocol, right? Yep. And people thought I was insane for, for launching the very first product ever, a protocol with a, for something that people didn't even know what leaky gut was that like seven years ago. So, um, but the reason that I did it was because I had gone to a conference and found out that cancer was the number one reason for dog's death. You know, like one in every two dogs are going to get cancers statistically, but skin disease was the number one reason for elected euthanasia. Whoa. Yeah, which means people just can't watch their dog suffer anymore. They can't um they can't stand the smell. 
the family doesn't want them around so that they they try and rehome them then they go to the spcas and then they get or to shelters and they get euthanized um people can't just watch them suffer anymore so the first few products that i came out with were was to target skin disease in general and you've kind of alluded to this already a little bit but um yeast can actually have some of these signs and symptoms that you're describing. Um, if somebody suspects their dog has yeast, what might be some of the things they're seeing in their dog? Just intense itching. Like just, it, it is so, it's so crazy. It's so itchy. Um, you know what acetone is, right? Do you know what acetone no, is? No, actually I don't. Okay. So acetone is a chemical that is in nail polish remover. That's oh what yeah. Nail polish remover is, is acetone. And yeast produces acetone. Oh, one of the chem- one of the one of the many chemicals that yeast, um, the toxins that yeast produces. So it creates that itching, burning, stinging. I use acetone because people know how strong that is, right? It's mm-hmm. so destructive on the skin tissue, and um, so lots of licking and heat, often heat, sweaty. Um, you know, yeasty ears isn't always the, they don't, it doesn't have to be in the ears, but yeasty ears, um, yeast in their groin, like stinky sweatiness in their groin, uh, skin turning black, um, really itchy around their anus, uh, licking between their toes and between their pads. That's a, that's a, um, you know, the intensity of the itch. I find, but not always, is much more yeast than it is allergies. You know, mm-hmm. allergies can, and that's when the vets say about, well, the allergies start, then the animal starts to lick and itch and chew. And then the licking and the itching and the chewing creates either a yeast and, a, you know, an overabundance of yeast or um, a staphylococcus bacteria, right? So secondary bacterial infection. And then you go on this lovely kaleidoscope of giving antibiotics because there's a secondary yeast infection or a secondary bacterial infection. And then the antibiotics kills all the natural flora in the gut. And then the yeast is even, even gets worse. And then the pathogenic bacteria gets worse. And then, and then, and then, and then, and you, and, and it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So could a person before they go down that road, if they're at the vet clinic, can they request any kind of test or something that maybe the vet could do to let them know? Because I found this, I don't know, our listeners probably don't know, but I went through this rigmarole with my dog Porter. And we're talking like $10,000 later before a holistic vet actually even considered yeast. And that's what it was. And I just wonder, I'm just wondering if people aren't being kind of told that when they go to the vet clinic, that it could be yeast as a possibility. Is there a test or something they could ask for from the vet that would maybe confirm the presence of yeast overgrowth? Yep. They can get a slide done. They can get a, they can have a, either a scraping or an impression slide, uh, especially with the ears. It's Mm -hmm. super easy to do with ears. But when they're sticky and sweaty and whatever, it doesn't take much to get to get a sample on a slide of, of yeast. No, they did but, that right in clinic for me. It was 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was very easy. It's very, yeah. very easy to do. The, the, um, 
the thing about that though is i mean then if you've been diagnosed with yeast or your dog's been diagnosed with yeast you go down that scary protocol of ketoconazole and and anti-yeast shampoos and you know all of this intense intense um all of these intense drugs mm-hmm. so it on the while it's important to know my suggestion is don't wait till your dog is like really 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 bad you know go in get the diagnosis of you know what is it yeast do they think it's yeast you know, if the slide comes back with, with no yeast present, but your vet has seen a gazillion cases of yeast and says, you know, there's no yeast present, but my suspicion is that your dog has yeast. Mm-hmm. Then they may want to do a whole bunch of blood tests to say whether or not it has allergies. So you wind up spending a lot of money to get a diagnosis that they can't do anything about. Right there, done that. (laughs) But it's, and that's not a slag. It doesn't have anything to do with vets, doesn't have anything to do with doctors, human doctors, right? Don't have anything like they don't have an alternative to creating that homeostasis. They, they have short term, I want to use the word band aid solutions. to helping alleviate the symptoms of what's going on, but don't, don't go to the root problem. Now saying that when your dog is scratching itself to the point where it's raw and it's bleeding all over the place, you don't have time to, you know, do a lot of stuff to, to, you need, you need to have your dog out of pain and suffering Mm -hmm. period. And, but a lot of people go, okay, well, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to try the ketoconazole baths. And now it's got also secondary bacterial infection. So we're going to put them on the antibiotics. Or they think there's an immune modulated, uh, there are, there's an immune system, an autoimmune <clears throat> fit component to this. So they want to put them on steroids or venectal P at the same time. Or they want to do this. By the time you get home, you have like a pharmacy mm-hmm. of like a bomb to give your dog. and then they're like, okay, well, we're just going to let's, let's see if this works first. If this works, then, you know, we'll go and we'll, you know, get the better diet and we'll do this and we'll do that. And that's where people often fail because you don't want to wait till after all that's done because probably it's going to help initially because mm-hmm. it instantly suppresses it. Right. It it's like, it's like a, it's like a pipe with a hole in it, if you stick some duct tape over the pipe, you're not going to see water coming out. But when you take the duct tape off or when the drugs end, that hole is still there and chances are it's even bigger. Or it comes out with an explosion because it's had something stuck on it, right? So then it's like a rebound effect, it's called. And then your dog is exponentially worse than when it started. And then you're back at the vet's doing more drugs because you can't handle it again. So my suggestion always is don't wait, don't wait, go on the drugs and start every single other thing humanly possible to support the immune system to coming back into balance at the same time. So that when you're weaning the dog off of the drugs, and that's the other thing, you just don't stop drugs cold turkey Mm -hmm. because then you're going to be in a massive mess. 
you try and work with your vet and you incorporate, you know, a species oriented diet and you start putting in the correct pre and probiotics and you start using herbs like padarco and different things for yeast, depending on what's going on, you know, like if it's yeast and that they know it's yeast and they're like, okay, this is yeast, then you can come in with, you know, something specifically for yeast at the same time as that you're using, you know, you're starting to incorporate a species oriented diet. You don't, you shouldn't wait because one supports the, one stops them from being, from suffering the other one supports them in healing so that you're, you're, you're using the approach of, um, you know, stopping the suffering at the same time, healing them deeper. This is why I wish that there was more um, complementary medicine out there because I don't, I do feel there's a need for both. It would be nice if they could work hand in hand more often because I think the results are amazing when you can do that. Well, they, yeah, except that the the big thing is don't wait until it don't wait until it's so bad, because that's what I was going to say. If you start noticing it or you see it yeast even smell in their ear or you're like, ah, you know, they're way more itchier than normal. Get them in to find out what's going on and then take them home. Reach out to people like you get them started like ASAP and see what happens after a month. You know, are they getting better? Are they getting worse? Do we have to shift gears? Do we have to do two combinations? Do we have to heal the gut and deal with these at the same time? Like start right away. Mm -hmm. So that you don't have to put all those drugs on board. Right. Right. Because it's a longer process once you have to do that. It is. You have to fix everything that got broke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we kind of tangented off on that a little bit, but, um, and, and we've well, already talked about to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. And I'm really bad with focusing back on things because I want to hear everything. <laughs> I want to hear it all. It's all valuable. Um, yeast overgrowth what I see a lot and you've probably too can often be overlooked and it can often be mistaken for other issues in dogs. Do you see that too? And what might those other issues be? Mostly allergies. Yeah. They get get very confused whether they're just strictly originated yeast originating from yeast or whether there's an allergy. They get misdiagnosed with allergies compared to leaky gut. They get, but I, but I, I really think what I need to tell you here, that's very important that a lot of people don't know is that when they, when you start to work with yeast holistically and not suppressing or eradicating or killing the yeast with drugs, but when you start to try to help the body eradicate yeast naturally If you do anything too fast, you can get something called a yeast die off, Mm -hmm. right? Or a Herx reaction. When that happens, all that means is that you're doing the right thing, but your, your dog's body is responding so well to it that it's killing the yeast like crazy. And then when yeast dies, they're the ugliest, most grossest looking thing. Think of them almost like a skeletal system, right? Like almost like they're not a bug, but that's just for for ease of of visualization. 
think of them almost like a bug with really, really strong, you know, teeth or tentacles or, or, you know, something that is really not very friendly looking. (laughs) Um, So when these things die and until they are excreted by the body, they produce some, sometimes 10 to 15 amount times the amount of toxins. I call them the yeast graveyard. Mm -hmm. And in that graveyard becomes this toxic mess that then looks like the yeast is worse, but it's not worse. It's actually dying. Mm -hmm. And you're actually helping the body, um, you know, get rid of this stuff. But then what happens is the poor dog starts to suffer. You take it back into the vet clinic because it's like way worse. The vet just assumes that it's a it's an overabundance of yeast again and back on the drugs they go, right? And then you're back into this 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 terrible um merry-go-round, right? Of drugs, no drugs, worse, better, worse, better, worse, better. So the important part, I don't know if I should want to talk about this now, but yeah, the important okay. part about treating yeast, not treating, working or navigating yeast is to do it very mindfully. Mm-hmm. And from a, what I always say is a plan of attack compared to let's just go in and bomb the whole city of yeast. If you're going to bomb the whole city of yeast, you are going to have a massive fallout of the, of a Herx reaction or mm-hmm. a, um, you know, a, a, a chemical toxicity from the yeast that looks exactly like yeast. So let's talk about then the best way to tackle this so that you have the least amount um, of symptoms, I guess, like the protocol that you would recommend putting somebody on so that their dog could go get through this because the yeast are going to have to die. (laughs) But how can we do that in a way that's not going to make the dog get so uncomfortable that you're regretting what you did? (laughs) Or you're not understanding what's happening and not there is your vet. So that's why I created the East Deep Beast protocol. Um, because it, it's, you know, I, you know, me, I'm like the probiotic queen. Yep. Bacteria <laughs> queen. Um, but when I'm dealing with yeast, I don't even get near probiotics or yogurt or fermented foods or anything like that for the first little bit. Oh, and what I, cause because of what I've seen, whereas people are like, oh, my dog has yeast. So I'm going to give it tons of probiotics and I'm going to give it tons of yogurt and I'm going to ferment all its food and I'm going to do all this stuff to try and get rid of yeast and does it, it does, but then you get a die off. Mm. Right. So, so what the protocol does is it talks about for the first two weeks is getting the yeast weak, right? The plan of attack is weakening your, your enemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you starve them by not giving them any sugar. So then all, so they become weak. Then the next plan is that what's in that protocol are, are something called like a yeast buster, which means that it busts the cell. It breaks it down. It's able to get in and, and destroy the, destroy the, destroy the cell. And when when that happens, you want to also be able to produce 
an enzyme, or there's an enzyme in that thing that actually ingests, helps to ingest the yeast so that it doesn't, you don't wind up with this big graveyard full of, of, like I said, think of them looking like skeletons, right? So it's sort of like, like the same way as, as enzymes digest your food, right? Or your dog's food. These enzymes are, are, uh, formulated to digest yeast. Okay. And then there is one bacteria that's in there. So there's one probiotic in there, but that probiotic is specifically to help pull and remove the yeast out of the system. And then there's a whole bunch of other herbs that, that do something similar. And that protocol is to try to alleviate the Herx reaction, right? The, the, the over um, getting, you know, too many yeast dying at once. If your animal is full, 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 full of yeast, we have a thing called, um, uh, it's a, it's a program that we filter through three different protocols because remember I said, think of the yeast as, as like almost like an ugly little creepy crawly, Mm -hmm. I don't know, thing with teeth. They do a number on the gut. They do a number on the mucosal lining of the gut. They trash the gut. So you're definitely going to want to heal the mucosal lining of the gut. So for animals that are really bad, I recommend two weeks of the yeast protocol, then two weeks of the leaky gut protocol, then two weeks of phytos flora, which helps to chelate the, tox- the toxins through the fulvic and humic acid, and then go back on the yeasty beast. Okay. So then you go like two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, back on yeasty beast, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, back on yeasty beast. So that you're, you're, you're killing it or the die off is, is slow enough that the body's able to handle the die off without it freaking out. It also has a homeopathic remedy to help with the toxicity of the die off of yeast and help with the itch. So this would be worst case scenarios. How would a, um, a pet owner know if their animal was, you know, should be going on this three tiered kind of protocol rather than just going right into the yeasty beast? If they're really bad. So they've got black skin, stinky ears, you know, a, almost like a, 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 a rectal area that's inflamed, um, constantly licking and chewing on their feet. That's intense, right? Okay. That's a, that's an intense animal. I wouldn't put them straight on the full protocol. You'll know after two weeks of using it, if the dog is getting better and better and better and better and better, then just stay the course. Okay. If you notice them getting better and then all of a sudden sort of relapsing again, that's telling me that it's probably not a relapse. It's a die-off. Yep. Right? So then you're like, okay, I got to slow my roll a little here. I got to slow down. Let's now look at the integrity of the gut, right? Let's, let's start to, to build the integrity of the gut. And then now let's do some chelation and add some species specific um, probiotics to this, to this dog because it has an immune modulation, right? It has immune modulating qualities. And so does, so does the leaky gut protocol with large. So 
you know, you're, you're trying to modulate and create an anti-inflammatory effect in systemically in the body. So you're doing these things and then you're going to go back. Okay. Now we've supported that. We're going to go back to killing the yeast. Okay. Right. So you'll know after two weeks, whether it's continuing to improve and the minute or the second that you think that they're going backwards, you need to switch gears and go into the, the next protocols. That's really good to know. I don't think we ever did that, that third phytos flora kind of step. Yeah. So it's called the relief protocol. So you can find it on okay. our, ask our customer service. I'll send it to you. Sure. And we'll put links to that in the show notes as well for anybody listening. Uh, if you can't write that down, don't worry. We've got you. We'll take care of that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Wow. So even I learned something today. Several things, actually. <laughs> this is awesome. Ron is going to really, Ron's my husband. Ron's going to really love listening to this. But awesome. do you do you find that, let's say we do the Yeasty Beast, we have some success. We didn't really need to introduce the leaky gut or go that route. Um, do you think at some stage they're going to have to address that leaky gut possibility or? 100%. Yeah. Is, there's no question in my mind. So they no. need to do that eventually anyway, more than likely. Because the yeast will compromise their gut lining. Okay. And the the fact that they had yeast to be an overabundance of yeast anyways is saying that they don't have the correct microbiota in their gut. Because if they did, they wouldn't have the abundance of yeast. They would have been able to repress, suppress, um, retract the yeast and keep it in its contained amounts, natural contained amounts that it, that it should be. So the okay. fact that the animals have yeast anyways means that they that they that their their immune system doesn't doesn't support um the ability to combat it. Okay, that makes total sense. And we have a lot of customers that are on these hydrolyzed diets that they get from the vet and they're usually because their dog has been diagnosed with some form of allergy, but the hydrolyzed proteins that they put in those foods, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're they're kind of making the molecules small enough so that the, when they escape through that leaky gut, the body doesn't really recognize them and they therefore doesn't kind of attack them. Is that kind of why they well, come up with this diet? Kind of, kind of yes and no, or they don't recognize them as an antigen or an enemy. Right. Okay. Right? Because they're not your basic, they're not, I think, I think that, that they made those diets way before they even knew anything about leaky gut. So, um, and a lot of, of them don't even subscribe to that theory. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the bigger, the bigger thing is that they don't recognize them as an allergy, right? Okay. The body doesn't recognize them as a protein of a, as a, of a normal protein. So the, the thing with those diets is they may give some relief in the, in, in the immediacy may, that's a big word, may, <laughs> may give some relief, but you're not dealing with the whole issue of why does it, why is it there? Yeah. And because it's hydrolyzed, it doesn't give the same kind of whole food nutrition that, you know, I always say that if there were diets out there that stopped inflammation and stopped, you know, all of these un un unfortunate diseases, we would all be eating hydrolyzed diets yeah. people are talking about. It's true. Right. And we know that, that they're not healthy. 
they're they're a short-term fix to alleviate suffering in the moment, but they are not a long-term nutritionally valued diet to 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 create overall wellness and your animals to thrive, not just exist. And I think counterintuitively also they're loaded with carbohydrates. <laughs> It doesn't, it, it, it really, like I said, it doesn't really make any sense other than to try to, to end the suffering as, as fast as possible, like have less reactivity. So again, you can be on this hydrolyzed diet, they can be on these hydrolyzed diets, and you still continue to support the body to understanding it needs to go back into homeostasis. And mm-hmm. once you see things calming down, then you start into you, you start you start intervening with with the approach of healing and then once things are moving along and things are calm then you start to introduce other things okay I like that a lot <laughs> use it temporarily but then heal so that you don't have to go back on it again hopefully or live on it for the rest of your life because at the end of the day it always rears its ugly head yeah and and then the steroids come out. And then the atopica comes out and then the, and then the, and then the, and then the, and then the liver starts to get compromised. And then that causes a whole bunch of other problems. It's just, it's a, it's a kaleidoscope effect of, um, you know, pathological problems that happen from non-organic sources. So when I, at my clinic, I would see people come in and it would take me an hour and a half just to go through their chart to see like what started this mm-hmm. what was their first little disease that got suppressed what happened you know i could usually take it all the way back to puppyhood you know when they got their first puppy vaginitis or when they got their first ear infection or their first bladder infection or their first set of antibiotics or their first, you know and then you know what happened after that and then by the time i saw them a lot of them they had drug pathology Right. They had drug pathology and malnutrition from eating processed food. So, you know, you're not even you're not even dealing or or working with organic disease. You're dealing with layers upon layers upon layers of of um, drug disease. Mm -hmm. And it just one leads into the other. I found that with myself. I'd have one problem and go on a drug for it and then another problem and go on a drug for that. And before you know it, you're on three or four <laughs> different drugs instead of really tackling the main issue. But um, well, yeah. on you. what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that? <laughs> I know better now. This is, uh, this was all part of my path okay. <laughs> to get where, where we are today. What? So. <laughs> yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> awesome. You know, it's funny is a lot of my stuff is from stress. So managing stress is a very hard thing to do. <laughs> But so is a lot of animals. Yes. A lot of of disease comes from stress with animals. Them not being, you know, exercised enough. They're not, their dogs are pack animals. They're not meant to live alone, you know? So, you know, being left in an apartment or a house for 16 hours a day by themselves or 10 hours a day by themselves. And, you know, people being on their computers and not, you know, rolling around on the floor playing with their dog or taking the out into nature, you know, not, they're, they're not living. I always say we're feeding species oriented diets, but we're not allowing them to have a species oriented life. That's true. So that, that stress 
increases cortisol, right? Which increases Mm -hmm. disease in general. No, absolutely. Well, way to, way to rein that back into pets again. (laughs) That's a lot of stuff that probably people don't even think about when they're seeing these symptoms in their dogs. Like we talk about enrichment a lot on the podcast, but but we don't link the enrichment as being a part of the physical body as well, not just the mind. So that's a really good link there that people should consider. Definitely. It's what holistic medicine's about. Yeah, absolutely. Body, mind, and spirit. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right. We're kind of nearing the end of the yeast thing here, which is great. I want to talk about one more thing before we finished up. But going back to the uh, Yeasty Beast protocol, if a person suspected their dog had yeast they don't have a a firm diagnosis um, but they just wanted to try the yeasty beast protocol is there any reason why it would be harmful if there wasn't a yeast diagnosis if the animal's itchy yes 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 they'd be see some kind of symptom uh, obviously but no there's nothing wrong with it okay good so we could give that a go and kind of see how it goes and then go from there but obviously if anything's very bad you need to go see your vet um, and, and get that taken care of because we don't want to wait too long for that kind of thing. But this yeasty beast protocol, um, I'll just say on a personal note, seeing hundreds and hundreds of dogs go on this, you guys, if you're having this issue, try it. <laughs> because oh, if only I could go back, you were mentioning all these drugs that they put dogs on. And my dog Porter, again, part of this path getting me here today, was put on all of them. He vomited from the drugs. He couldn't hold the drugs down. His liver started getting compromised. It's so awful to watch that and not be able to help. Like it doesn't seem like anything helped. So I only wish this existed back then. Um, We should all count ourselves very lucky that it does now. (laughs) So uh, we can help our pets. So uh, So, thank you for that. And I did want to say one thing is that um, don't lose hope. Like, Like there is... Every animal is an individual and, um, you know, people like you are there that you want to help, right? Yes. You're not there just to sell a product and neither are we. We have amazing customer service and mm-hmm. <laughs> as, a, as a store, you can reach out about anything, right? Like I don't want, you know, we might have thousands and thousands of customers, but not one customer is any more important than another one. Right. And and, you know, if if our customer service team can't help you guys, like if you were to reach out and say, you know, we have this one dog and I just can't get my head wrapped around it. Can you guys help me? They will. And if they can't, I still even with thousands and thousands of customers, I still get those emails. That's amazing. I still to this day get eyeballs on something that they can't help if they can't figure it out. But I have such incredibly trained, amazing, amazing, dedicated team that that usually they can. And I can attest to that. Both uh, Ron has reached out on chat on a store level and I have on a personal level as well with my dog Pebbles. And it was actually you that sent me the email. So I can attest to that. And again, make sure you check out our show notes because I'm going to put links to everything there for you. So if you do need any help, you want to reach out, maybe you don't live in Calgary, um, obviously most of you that listen know that, uh, Ron and I own the Copperfield and legacy tailblazers. Uh, Ron is located at the legacy store. So if you ever want to come in and chat, we're available to do that. But, um, many of you don't live anywhere near. So, uh, um, adored beast is going to be there for you as well. Um, 
wow, what is what a subject uh, we could go on and on. Uh, so grateful again for your products. I hope I don't sound like I'm totally plugging you. <laughs> I actually feel very grateful because you don't know how frustrating it is to I have do. an animal come in that you can't help. <laughs> so I do. I do know it. Because, you know, I saw a lot of that in practice when I was in a conventional clinic. And it's like your hands are tied. Yes. You know, you, you really do feel like your hands are tied. And, and you know, it, it, it's, um, again, like it, my team, my team works really hard and they're so amazing with me and they know that I, like my whole life is this, this company and helping animals and they, they are always sending me things like where, you know, people have sent in and gone, you know, we were close to euthanizing our dog and yeah. there he is now. And here's the picture. And, you know, I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those things like all the time. And it's what keeps me going. It's like, you know, three o'clock in the morning, I'm looking at something because something just came into my head and it's, it's, I have them all saved. And so when I'm having a hard day and I'm feeling like, oh my God, I'm just tired. And I just want whatever. I just want to like go away. Um, you know, but I'm really focusing on a new formula or an idea that I have or a piece of research that I have to finish. I just look at all these pictures and I see these faces of these dogs and it's just like, oh my God, or cats or horses or whatever. Or even the people, because as much as I prefer animals over people, when you can take some of that stress that away from them, because it's so hard to watch your animal suffer. Horrible. So it's really awful. So when you have them come in and you just seem like they, they look like they lost 30 pounds, they're just lighter and happier and it's great all around and I'm getting all teary talking about it, but it's, it's amazing. And thank you again so much for helping us help animals too. Well, you so. know, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be able to. So well, thank you. We try. <laughs> We're all in it for the right reasons, right? You're right. <laughs> Speaking of the right reasons, let's circle back to a subject we kind of started on when we started. Um, this isn't yeast related, but this is related to your microbiome forest project. I just think this is the coolest thing around. So I want to make sure that before we end the podcast that you get a chance to tell us uh, and our listeners a little bit about that project. So the project initiated from medicinal mushrooms because I've been using medicinal mushrooms in my vet hospital for 20 years. And I was taught by a very, very brilliant traditional Chinese medicine doctor. I had the, the, Oh my gosh, the, the amazing opportunity to work with this man for two years. And he explained to me the philosophy of in, in how he looked at medicinal mushrooms and how they fought cancer and how they, you know, helped with the immune system and whatever. And so when I decided that it was time for adored beast to have uh, mushrooms like to produce mushrooms, I tried to source them and I couldn't find a source that spoke to me, you know, mm -hmm. whether it was because there was too big of a carbon footprint to bring them over from Asia or because they were being grown in like, you know, in a big, huge building, the size of a football field with sterilization. And to me, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, Please, please believe me when I say that. 
but my idea of mushrooms and my upbringing on mushrooms and my deep philosophy of mushrooms is that the that they have this innate wisdom that is very synergistic with to the forest that they grow in right the forest or the, the area the topography in which they're growing in the wild and you know anyone just has to watch fantastic fungi and and which is on netflix and you'll understand that the way forests communicate the ways trees and I was really lucky. I was I was in BC. I was around David Suzuki a lot and and UBC with their big tree projects and fungi projects and stuff. And and I've always for a long time, probably since 2011, I've known that the intricate um, communication that happens in the forest is through the mycelium of mushroom. So mm-hmm. the mushrooms take. So they did this 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 um, research where they injected a mother tree with a particular type of gas, and then they saw that she could actually take shut part of herself off and take that gas and move that gas or that nutrient, like it it it, it represented a nutrient a nutrient right to a particular area of the forest that was needing that nutrient. What. And, and it went through the root system, but also the fungi system. And fungi need, they, they're opportunists, right? They eat things that are dead. They, they work in synergy with other things for them to get fed, right? So anyways, they, we know that, that, that trees and plants communicate through, through this energetic pathway in the forest bed. That's, that's scientifically been proven through through tons of peer-reviewed research. So when I think about that, and you know, this Dr. Um, you he used to he used to tell me all the time, think of a mushroom, you know, in ca- uh, you know, completely engulfing something that's dead, whether that's a mouse, whether that's some kind of you know, something rotting in the forest or whatever, that's what it does. And it, and it literally decomposes it and produces it into something else, you know, a flower, more fertilization for the soil bed, things like that. So it, 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 it's like a compost machine almost. So he used to show me different kinds of tumors and go look at this mushroom and look at this tumor. You know, like when I would be deciding on tumors or what mushrooms to work with, with what tumors and what kinds of cancer, whether it's, you know, cellular cancer or, you know, sarcomas and things like that. So I have a very personal relationship with mushrooms in a way that I understand them in the wild in in, in what they do to the world. And this is something that's very old for me, mm-hmm. right? Like years and years and years old. So when I was trying to find this and I was seeing how all of these mushrooms are being sort of manipulated in a way where they're, um, you know, we're using spores to, to, and spawn to, you know, produce higher beta glucans. And we're almost like hybriding them, like we do tomatoes and things like that. And I'm like, but we're losing so much from that. How can they be educated? How can they have that plant wisdom when, when they're growing in a sterile environment? Because to meet bacteria, as we know, the bacteria in our gut speaks to our brain, right? It's the gut brain access. Mm-hmm. So we know that that 
bacteria has in has that kind of intelligence or intellect to be able to um, uh, compose what the body needs to do. So for me, I was like, how do they, how does this mushroom get this wisdom, not living in bacteria, not having that microbiome, not having that, that microbiome of the forest floor? How does it, how does it, because beta glucans and polyphenols and triterpenes, like that is like a, like a, like a whisper of all of the medicinal values, but it's, it's the three that we can measure the easiest mm-hmm. with, with mushrooms that we've done a lot of research on with cancers, things like that from a science perspective. But we know even with CBD, right? We, you know, measure triterpenes and things like that in, in, in THC and we measure all this stuff in, in cannabis, but full spectrum cannabis or full spectrum CBD has thousands of mm-hmm. medicinal chemicals, right? We don't even know. It's the same with, to me, I think it's the same with omega-3s. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So, <laughs> but, so I thought to myself, I don't want to use these mushrooms. I don't, I don't, I don't want to use these mushrooms. What am I going to do? So I went to Dion and I'm like, I want to buy a forest. We need to buy a forest and we need to start doing research on mushrooms and we need to start growing our own mushrooms and and so when we started looking at forests, I started seeing something that breaks my heart every time I see it, which are clear cuts. Yeah. And I walk through clear cuts and I literally feel, and this, sounds, this is going to sound very intense, but I feel like the forest has been raped. That's how yeah. I feel. I feel like I, I just feel sick to my stomach. And I think about all of the beautiful animals and reptiles and birds and, and trees and air and oxygen and bacteria that has been completely eradicated. And so when we were looking at these forests, I was like, I want to buy them all. I want to buy meaning. I want to buy old growth. I want to buy selectively cut and I want to buy clear cut. And I want to learn how I can rewild clear cut. How can I bring that back to this incredible, like, they'll say that they're going to go in and plant trees. Well, they plant the same species of trees. They go in and they just, it's like saying that I'm, I have a wildflower garden. I'm going to cut down all my wildflowers and then I'm just going to plant roses. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to think that that's, that's replanting. Diverse. It's yep. not replanting. It's, 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 it's talking nonsense. So, so I want to learn from an old growth, like, what does it need? What does it do? How do I bring that over here? How do I, how do I rewild this? And mushrooms is a big part of that. You would not believe what mushrooms can do, what they can, what they can support in growing, what they can do to the, to the, to the soil, to the environment, to the bed. So I went from, I want to buy, I want to have my own medicinal mushroom forest. To, <laughs> I want to create this project to show the world that we don't have to keep clear cutting to make money, that the government and people and woodlawn owners can make money on what forests produce naturally mm-hmm. in comparison them to just being paper and pulp and wood, you know? And give the whole, give us as humans oxygen without forests and without our ocean. I don't care whether you like deer or you like birds or you like salamanders or you like 
orcas or you like seals or you, I don't care what you like. Do you like to breathe? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to breathe, you better be paying attention because mm-hmm. if we don't have fish in the ocean, we might look at the water and go, oh, well, the water's still there, but that's not what produces the, o- the, o- the oxygen. It's these big moving schools of fish, these big moving packs of seals, these big massive orcas that make the phytoplankton move by swimming. And then the phytoplankton moving produces oxygen in the air. If we have a dead ocean, we have a dead planet. And it's the same with the forests. If we don't have a ability to, to, to filter and, and recreate the carbon, we don't have air. We're playing with fire. You know, and that's not just from a perspective of of um, global warming. We're talking about air quality, like mm-hmm. true air quality, whether we have air or not. So, you know, plowing fields and having no bacteria in fields. And I, I'm very supportive of all the regenerative soil projects and things like that of not plowing and no till plow, no till farming and things. So. It's, it really has nothing to do. If you want to have food that have nutrients in them and you want to have air, doesn't matter whether you're a tree hugger or a whale hugger, <laughs> you, you really do need to start paying attention. Well, we're all air huggers. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can all help a little bit if we, if we want air, <laughs> clean air, nice air, natural air. <laughs> well, I don't know where you find the time for this interview after saying, (laughs) after all that stuff you've been up to, but uh, good on you. And I hope other companies will follow your lead and we keep, keep going down this route. I like the way you're doing it. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, it's just, you know, who does that is that whether companies follow my lead or they don't follow my lead, it's up to um, the consumer to pay attention to the company that they're purchasing their products from. Like, And, and not see the word sustainable and think it's sustainable for the environment. Because I would say more times than not, it's not. It's sustainable. There is no such thing as, you know, oh, putting on a label sustainable for the environment or sustainable. Most sustainability means it's sustainable for the company and mm-hmm. not for the environment. So, to, and really to figure that piece out, you've got to like call companies, ask companies, send emails, ask them for certificate of analysis or ask them what their, you know, what their, what their philosophy is on certain things, you know, take them by surprise, ask questions. And if you can't get the answers, then you need to be second guessing what, who you're buying things from. So the more consumers want to purchase things that give back to nature, that's the other thing is we always say not taking from nature. Well, we're a natural supplement company. I wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we weren't taking from nature. We take from nature. So we have to be paying attention of how are we taking it. Mm-hmm. So I take it one step farther than that is and how can I give back? Mm-hmm. And not just how do I take it in the nicest of ways, but how do I actually give back? And that's something that, you know, that you people need to ask when they're talking to companies. The more people ask, the more the companies will pay attention. And if they start losing money, they will go, why are we losing money? And then they'll say, oh, people are looking for this. We need to change. And you, one little human by yourself will make the change. So huge change, huge, one change with one person Mm -hmm. has a domino effect. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Julianne. This has been amazing. We covered so many topics. (laughs) I know. Well, it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And it goes along the the philosophy that you've had this whole um, interview. It's everything works together. There's nothing's in a, in a bubble by itself. So this is why we, we go off tangent a bit because there's a lot of things that intertwine here. So thank you so much again for your time. And um, thanks for being here. You're welcome. I'll see you later. I'm Holly Montgomery. My guest today has been Julianne Lee. Until next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and share with your dog-loving friends. The information in this podcast is not intended to replace veterinary care. Always consult with your veterinarian for diagnosis and treatment of your pup.